is Jude and I'm from 530 Macquarie Park and I will be reading 1 Samuel chapter 18 verses 1 to 6 uh, which you can find on page 245. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. We're now going to um, jump to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 to 7, which is just the next page over. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what has he done? And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Hi, I'm Eric. I go to the 7 p.m. at Kirribilli, and this reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 17 and 35 through 42. These can be found on page 247 of your Black Bibles. Then David fled from Nioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and said, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked for my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant 
with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan replied. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed to you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him and saying, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this. Only David and Jonathan knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is a witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. Lord God, we know that without your spirit, what we're about to do is redundant. Uh, We know that your spirit has inspired the words that we've just heard read, that we know your spirit is in us and amongst us, And without you, Holy Spirit, you will not open our hearts to hear and to really hear what you have to say to us this day. We thank you that you're with us and for us and incline our hearts to want to worship the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we have been exploring the life of David here at church, a character in the Old Testament. And uh, last week we had a great Mother's Day sermon with the beheading of Goliath. You're welcome. Don't tell us, we don't challenge stereotypes. Um, We saw last week as David, with one small pebble, took down, in one moment, Goliath, the enemy of the Israelites. And it was a beautiful, majestic moment where the battle was great and the victory even greater, and the rest and the joy that came again on God's people. Now, you would think, right, after what we just saw last week of the battle between David and Goliath, that for David's life, things would just go better and better and better, right? But the exact opposite happens. It's amazing how the great moments in your life quickly become the worst. 
I'm Michael Phelps, the Olympian. Uh, there's an article called The Dark Side of Winning Gold. And he said after the Beijing Olympics, 2008, he won eight gold medals. After that, this is what he said. I found myself in the darkest place you could imagine. For David, the aftermath of killing a giant, he could say those words too. Because as the, as the giant fell to the ground, boom, it got the attention of everyone. And there are two very different reactions that David experiences. One is what we're going to first look at, the murderous, jealous hate from Saul, King Saul. And then we'll look at the faithful love of a loyal friend in Jonathan. So let's look at the relentless pursuit of David by Saul. You know, it's interesting, whether it's the ending of a world war or an NRL premiership, both do the same thing. What is it? A victory parade down the main street. And that's what happens with David defeating Goliath. All the Israelites go down the main drag, and presumably with the head of Goliath, they parade it down. And the praise, which normally should go to the king of Saul, goes to David. Everyone's cheering, and there's a number one hit, a pop song, that's created. Verse 7, the women sing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. I mean, I don't know what the tune is, but it would have been catchy because they kept singing it and singing it. See, Saul thought, ah, David, that moment with Goliath, that was a one-hit wonder. So he sent him into battle again and again and again. But verse 5, we're told, what? Whatever mission Saul sent him, David on, he was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and all the officers as well. He was successful. Goliath was not a one-hit wonder. He was a mighty warrior, a national hero. Everyone is loving David. The soldiers love him. The officers love him. Even Saul's own children love David. You know, as Gore Vidal said, every time a friend succeeds, something inside me dies. Now, you see that in Saul. Because what does verse 8 say? When he saw all this, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? See, as David's popularity grew and grew, so something else grew, and that was Saul's jealousy of David. You know, you and I will always have successful people around us. But it's interesting. It's often those that we're jealous of are those who are like us. Similar age, stage, situation in life. Where they're successful at something. Or they have something. Or there is someone. And what do they do? What do we do? We do what Saul does. What does Saul do? Verse 9, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Close eye, constantly looking at them, comparing, thinking, preoccupied, hoping they might fail, seeing what you're doing better that they're not doing. And what did Paul see? Uh, what did Saul see, rather, when he looked at David again and again? Verse 14, in everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. You know, jealousy 
It's not being content at the end of the day with what God has given you. And for Saul, God had every right to choose David as the king of Israel, to place his spirit upon David and not Saul. And for you and I, friends, we will look at what God has given other people in our life. Maybe their ability, their gifting, their lifestyle, their status. Maybe a spouse, children, possessions, God's anointing, right? And think, they've got it better than me. That in the end, God is ripping me off. God's providence has not been kind, and you become discontent with who you are, and you keep a close eye on the other. I mean, mate Steve, growing up, he was a kind of guy who was great at sport, great at skateboarding, musically talented. And I found myself having this jealousy grow up inside my heart, getting bigger. As I looked at what he did, and I wanted what he had, I wanted his ability. And to be honest, he was my friend. But what I was doing was turning a friend into an enemy, and it is so subtle, and it happens because jealousy fuels it. And that is what Saul is doing to David. I mean, David has been successful, which has benefited Saul in a whole bunch of ways. But what Saul is doing as he compares and keeps a close eye on, he is turning a friend into an enemy. And jealousy, friends, comes with very unpleasant friends. You know what the cousin of jealousy is? Anger. You see that? Verse 8, Saul was very angry. That his jealousy was fueled by anger, and he saw that David was successful, and it's better off if David was dead than being around. And you see that, verse 10. I mean, there, David is playing the lyre, the harp, right? Now, look, I just want to acknowledge, David is a multi-talented guy, right? I mean, he's killed Goliath, he's good with a guitar, and if you see Michelangelo's statue, he's obviously good-looking, right? So, it's easy to be jealous of a David, right? But there... David, minding his own, but just playing the lyre, playing the harp, and there is Saul watching him. And you can only imagine what Saul is thinking as he's watching. There he is. That smug. He thinks he's so successful. And you know what he does? He picks up his nearby spear and throws it at him to try and wipe him out. But David is quick and he lives. And Saul... 1 Samuel 18, 19, 20 basically is a whole bunch of attempts by Saul to get rid of his jealousy. And the only way to get rid of it in his mind is to get rid of David. The next tactic, the spear doesn't work. Saul uses people in his plan. Verse 20 of chapter 18, have a look, is actually a sad verse. It may not seem as a sad, but it's actually quite a sad verse. Chapter 18, verse 20 now Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David. And when he told Saul about it, he was pleased. Why is that sad? His daughter was in love with David. And he's not pleased because he's thinking, oh, my daughter's made a good choice. There's a whole bunch of buffets in there, but at least she loves David. No, that's not why he's pleased. You know why he's pleased? 21. I will give, him to, give her to him so that she may be a snare to him so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He is the father of the bride-to-be, seeing his daughter as a prop, as a tool, useful in taking down David so that when his daughter marries him, she will soon be a widow. 
That is sad, isn't it? And Saul requests a very unusual marriage present, which I've not seen on any gift registry to have this happen. Verse 25, the king wants no other price for the bride Michal than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Now, just for those playing at home, foreskins is the tip of the penis, right? I highlight that because, to be honest, every time I say it, a number of people from non-English backgrounds Google it to try and work out what it is, and I don't want you to do that, right? So I'm just highlighting it. This happens every time. Now, this gift present, I have no words, right? I mean, it is a weird request, but the intent behind it was that David would not survive, right? But David, a couple of days later, comes to Saul with not a hundred, but 200 foreskins of the Philistines. And in that moment, you can imagine it, friends, not only has Saul lost the love and loyalty of his daughter, not only did his plan not work, not only was David more successful, but all he stood there just holding a bag of foreskins. That's what he's left with. And the point is this. Jealous hate never wins. You always lose, right? As Heath Thomas said, jealousy is the scab you keep picking at only to have the wound fester. It is a hunger that you can not satisfy. The more you eat, the emptier you feel, and it forces you to feed once again. It is a terrible and harsh master. Now, I would, like to, I would love to say that Saul stopped in this moment. He realized it was wrong and changed. No, no, no. There is plenty more. He tries the spear thing again. He tries to kill him while at home. Uh, David runs to Samuel, the old prophet, for safety. That doesn't work. Spies are everywhere. And in the end, Saul is naked and prophesying, right? I'll lead you to read that in your quiet times at home. But it's, it's amazing, right? You just, you just read these chapters, and it's attempt and attempt and attempt for Saul to quench his jealousy, and it does not work. Because jealousy blinds him. Hate blinds him. He cannot admit that David is God's choice for the king. He refuses to see and to be content with God's anointing on David's life and not his own. See, if you were to lift up the hood under Saul's heart, right, what would you see? What would cause him to lose his love of his daughter, his son, as we'll see, the reputation, the morality, even the love of the Lord? What would prompt him to do that? Because if you lifted up Saul's heart, you know who you'd see? You know who he truly loved? Himself. And this comparison, if you lifted up David's heart, you would see jealousy, but he had a jealousy, a right jealousy for God's name, his honour. That's why he went out to battle Goliath. He was on about God's success, not his own. But Saul, unlike David, had the relentless pursuit of himself. And he was blind to see the true king. He refused to rejoice in the victory of David. Now, friends, some of you right now have a jealousy in your heart that is growing. That there is someone in your life you see them succeed, and you think, why has God given it to them and not you? And you're feeling a sense of unloved, unrecognized, you're being undervalued, ungrateful. And you can see it is growing and maybe even taking over. Until you do what Saul never did and acknowledge it, bring it out, 
before God. Bring it out, sons. Jealousy will blind you from delighting in the King of Kings. It will stop you rejoicing in the victory that Jesus has done. It will, you will fail to see what God has proclaimed on your life, that you are loved, cherished, esteemed by Jesus the Most High. And until you end satisfied and content with God, what God has given you, jealousy will ruin your life and you will never rejoice in the anointing of another. So that's Saul. Before we move on to, the, to Jonathan, I just want to have a moment of empathy. Can you imagine how jo- uh, David is feeling in this time? I mean, it's weird, right? Everyone loves David. Jonathan does. Michal does. His wife, all of Israel and Judah, loves David. And yet it's amazing how it doesn't matter. It's amazing how one individual, I mean a powerful individual, can just ruin it all. I presume he's exhausted. He's confused. He's anxious. He's scared. I mean, he thought Goliath was the enemy. King Saul has turned out to be a greater enemy. But God has not given up on David by any means. Enter Jonathan. Here's the second thing. The relentless pursuit of David by a loyal friend in Jonathan. You know, Jonathan has the same blood as Saul. It's King Saul and then his son is Jonathan. Same blood, but very different reactions to David. You see that in verse 1 of chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. See, Saul's reaction was jealous hatred. Jonathan's reaction was loyal love. And straight off the bat, what does Jonathan do? Verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and belt and bow. See, Jonathan was the prince, right? Presumably next in line to the throne. But in Jonathan removing his robe and tunic and giving it to David, what he's doing is giving up his rightful place as prince to David. In response to the victory that David has done, Jonathan is saying, no, 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 I'm not the future king. You are. You are. I want to serve you in this. Did Jonathan have to do that? No, no, no. But love compelled him to say, you, David, are the future king, not me. You know, if Saul's reaction was that, 1 Samuel would be a very shorter book. That's the reaction we are to have. But you know, it's not only Jonathan's reaction, right reaction to the future king that stands out. is that God knew that in going through this dark valley, which David goes through and goes through for a long time, what he needs in that season is actually an intimate friend. In the Bible, there's a couple of friendships that stand out. Ruth and Naomi is one of them. Jesus and Lazarus is another. But Jonathan and David is one of them. And I just want to unpack a little bit about our context before sort of delving into Jonathan and David, right? In our culture, in our time and place, we value love in a romantic sense, right? That's number one. We do value love in a family sense. But love in a friendship is down here, right? Culturally speaking. It's not that we're anti-friends, but we just don't value it. We click a button and we're friends on Facebook. We don't really have it. 
You know, under 25s in this country, 30% say they do not have a close friend. We're confused by it. Love in a friendship? Because in our culture, we've so equated love with sexual eroticness that we can't understand it when it's not in that context outside of a family. I mean, I remember when a mate of mine told me he loved me, and I was confused because I'd been lied to as my culture, that love is only sexual. And because we're so shaped by Freud, right, Sigmund Freud, we think that all those are just repressed sexual needs. And when we say love or intimacy, we, we cannot help but associate with a sexuality. And so you would not, because we're 21st, modern readers, we read this and we think a friendship between Jonathan and David, we cannot presume, help presume they loved each other, there must be something sexual there. That a friendship between two guys that's intimate and honest and real, that must be sexual. And we wonder why men find it hard to have vulnerable relationships. Maybe I'll be thinking, but hang on, James, hold the phone. Last chapter, they kiss, right? This, again, we think erotic, but this is just physical affirmation that was culturally appropriate for them to do. And let me just say this, without trying to offend, but I will offend. The more white you are, the more unusual this is, right? Because in most cultures, I mean, look, my background is Maltese, right? I kiss my dad goodbye every day, and some of you would never have done that, right? Assyrians, right, they give three kisses upon greeting. Get a whole conversation, right, in the, in the kiss. Mwah, good to see you. Mwah. If you're in, in most African cultures, am I having a conversation with a guy, we would be holding hands for the whole time, right? Our culture is more sexually obsessed but physically restrained than any other culture. We're not used to physical affirmation, particularly of those of the same sex than other cultures are. So culturally, we are different to this, right? But what David and Jonathan show us is a gift of friendship that God has given that actually we need and we often dismiss or don't understand or are confused by. So let me just flesh out a couple of things that stand out between Jonathan and David's friendship and the friendship that we need to tap into. Firstly, you notice this, they are committed. Verse 18, verse, chapter 18, verse 3 says this, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. A covenant, a promise that Jonathan would be faithful to David, that he is not a fair-weather friend. I mean, you and I, I presume everyone has experienced the time when you had a close friend. But then you realize they were only friends with you because of your job or what you had or what your personality was, because when it changed, they vanished. I mean, I learned this in year two, right? When my friend Kurt and I would love Power Rangers. And then all of a sudden I got over it. And I remember him walking away, <laughs> right? And it hurt. And we've all experienced that. But David is a faith, uh, Jonathan is a faithful, constant friend. And that is precious. And that is not common in our culture where everything is casual. Can I just have a word to the men in the room, right? I talked a bit about this when it comes to recharge, our men event, which is on friendship and loneliness, but I'll say it again. We acknowledge, as guys, that the women in our life are better at friends than us, right? And I realized this when my daughter Audrey was born, and after a year or so, I woke up one morning and realized I didn't have many friends. And I asked Charlie, I said, have you been connect- keeping contact with your friends? And she's like, yeah, I've been texting and talking and that kind of thing. And I realized in that moment, 
Women, when it comes to relationships, it's like cooking sausages. It's just one, and then the next, and the next, and the next, and the next, and you go start again, right? They're always constantly keeping in taps. With con- and I had looked at my friends, and I hadn't turned the gas on for a year, right? They'd gone stone cold. And that is probably a common experience, right? Because what happens is your plate fills up with life, work, maybe marriage, kids, yada, yada, and the first thing to fall off is friendship. Because you think, I'm not responsible there. I don't need it. I can put it aside. But brothers, let me say this. You need it. It is not an extra optional, a deep, close friend in your life. You need it. And can I say this? Do not fall into the trap of thinking women in your life will organize your social calendar. That the women, whether it's your, your friends, your sisters, your wife, whatever it is, no, no, intentionally pursue friends yourself like Jonathan pursued David, because you need it. It will not just happen. It involves intention and effort. And God wants you to have the gift that David had when Jonathan came into his life. That's my encouragement to you. Second thing we see from David and Jonathan is loyalty. You know, I think the measure of a friend is how they speak about you when you're not in the room. Have a look how Jonathan speaks about David. Verse 4 of chapter 19. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father and said, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. See, Jonathan spoke well of his friend David when he wasn't around, and that's important not only because he was the king, but because he was the enemy. Can you imagine the damage done if Jonathan said to his dad, just went on a complaining moment. Ah, oh, David. I mean, he's a bit of an arrogant brat, isn't he? I mean, he's a great warrior. It's probably performance-enhancing drugs. Just imagine the damage that's done. And can I just have a word to the women in the room? You may be killing it in the friends department, but how do you speak about your friends when they're not in the room? Because you may be killing them with your words. Intentionally or unintentionally. As Proverbs 16 says, a gossip separates the closest of words. Honour your friends by speaking honourably about them online or to their face when they are not there. That's the mark of a good friend. And the last thing that I love about David and Jonathan's friendship is they have the freedom to be themselves. You know, when the realisation at the end of this chapter, of chapter 20, when Saul wanted to kill David, and it sunk in for both Jonathan and David, and they realized their friendship was not going to be the same. What does it say? Verse 41, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. They kissed each other and wept together, and David wept the most. What I love about that, it is so unmale in the sense of the 21st century, where most guys would be like, oh, well, thank you. Yep, it's been real and give that side awkward hug. No, no, no. This is honest and raw and real. David is grieved. When a good friend is hurting, let them hurt. When he's weep, let them weep. The freedom to just be themselves. Because let's face it, it is exhausting to pretend, isn't it? But a friendship where you're safe enough to just be you is a gift. David and Jonathan's friendship is one of commitment, love, and trust. 
I'm not going to ask you, do you have a friend like this? I'm going to ask you a better question. Are you a friend like this to someone? Because there you experience what Jesus says, the greatest form of love. What does he say? To lay down one's life for a friend. A love that is, can be experienced by all, not whether you're married or single. David knew of this type of love that God had given to him. Look, let me be honest as I close. Jonathan's type of friendship is rare, isn't it? I mean, we'd love to have it. We want to aspire to it, but it is rare. And the problem is, if you see someone having it, jealousy pops up and you're back to square one, being King Saul. And even if you're blessed by it, like David was, you know it's not permanent because you don't know what's coming. And not long after this, David writes in Psalm 142 in a cave, quote, unquote, no one cares for my life. He knows a good friend is limited, but he goes to the Lord, you are my refuge. You are the one who cares. And you and I are no different, brothers and sisters. Whether you have a Jonathan or not in your life, whether you are a Jonathan or not, what you need is a loyal, committed, faithful friend who knows the real you and yet is committed to you. And you do have that friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, who, like Jonathan, willingly gave up what was his, the throne of heaven, to become one of us, to serve you. Who, like Jonathan, was loyal and made a covenant, but a covenant of his own blood, where on the cross he experienced profound loneliness so that you could be his and his forever and you would not experience what he experienced. Who knows you more than you know yourself. I mean, I don't know if Jonathan would have stuck around with David given the things that David would do in the future. I mean, David, uh, Jonathan died by the time we get there, but he did some pretty ugly things, and yet Jesus knows the things, the horrible things sometimes that you have done, and yet he says, I'm still your friend because I've paid for what you've done on that cross. As a lady at my old church, who, when she became a Christian, she said these words, you know what amazes me? It's not that I could be Jesus' friend. It's that he would want to be mine. That's not low self-esteem, friends. You know what that is? That's a woman who gets, who captures the wonder of Jesus, but who knows us through and through, who knows the valleys that we are going through, who knows the valleys, the dark valleys that we have created that we're going through, and is loyally committed to you, faithful through and through. The friend that you and I need, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, you, we long to be and to have a friend that goes through the dark valleys. And we know that your spirit will be working in us, Lord, to, to grow in this area. Whether it's jealousy we have to deal with, whether it's complacency, whatever it is, Lord, but we know that we are not alone in it. That you, Lord Jesus, are the friend that all of us need and cannot live without. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would show us again that you are there, that you're with us and for us, and that we do have that true friend, you, Lord Jesus, despite what comes. Amen.